All right, guys. Welcome to the Chipperly Podcast. And in today's episode, we're gonna got a couple of couple of guests from Endgame Gear. And of course, we got NVZM Sogol as well. So, how you, how have you guys been this past week, NVZM Sogol? Yeah, good. Can't complain whatsoever. More time on my 360 hz display, so life is good. I've uh, been playing around with a bunch of different mice. Found some quite interesting things. You can have two mice from a certain company that are both supported, and you don't get all of the features inside the reflex and latency analyzer for both. So got some questions to ask NVIDIA and the companies involved to see what's going on there. But um, a lot of fun. Good stuff for me. Sounds good. Sounds good. How about you, Sogol? Yeah, I've been reviewing quite a few mice and that's pretty much it. All right. All right. And then on to our guests. So basically we have Johnny R, a CS legend and then a freak from Endgame Gear. So how are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Thank you and thanks for the nice introduction. I think uh, legend kind of uh, says it all. It was quite a long time ago. Um, these days I'm basically doing uh, what I always liked, developing computer products or gaming related products, so to say. And at the moment doing a lot of my stuff for Endgame Gear. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, uh, from my side, I'm basically the well, the managing guy of the whole Endgame Gear parent company as a whole. So um, Endgame Gear is a part of uh, the Case King Group. So basically, uh, we have several brands, but one of them for gaming gear only, which is Endgame Gear. And I, when we started it, I was basically doing all the product development and everything uh, on my own, but now more people have uh, switched over such as Freak here and others. So now we are a small team running the brand. And I'm doing yeah also a little bit of everything from marketing to product development. And the more people we yeah hire and get to the team, the more I can focus on product development. But yeah, it's a lot of communicating between the different departments. Yeah, lots of micromanagement. Okay, so yeah, you got both got some all-around roles pretty much there. Uh, how many uh, members do you have in your team? I would say, uh, I mean, some people are shared between different brands, but I would say we have about uh, five people working full-time on Endgame Gear things. Okay, 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 interesting. But that's not oh. only, I mean, it's not only product development, of course. I mean, we have personal handling support, we have a person handling social media and marketing things. So it's it's rather a small team and we have some help from uh, different people in the company group, but it, it's really rather a small team for all the stuff that we are doing at the moment. Okay, okay, understood, understood. How did you guys get like interested in gaming mice? How did it all start, you know? Uh, um, it, that is a, probably a longer answer. Um, from my side, uh, I've been, when I was playing Counter-Strike way back in the day, I was very, very hardware focused. Um, so if you remember way back in the day, I think there was only kind of like uh, Microsoft mice going around in the pro scene. Either you were playing with the IntelliMouse Explorer or you were playing with uh, the IntelliMouse Optical 1.1. And um, I think then at some point, uh, I think I'm not even sure which year that was Logitech came out with the MX 500, which was kind of like their first mouse that was 
would say gaming focused after the wingman gaming mouse which is also a legendary mouse but <laughs> uh, very very spe special uh, in its own ways i mean it had no scroll wheel and anything probably some people still remember it was was still a great mouse though um and yeah i think uh, i got an early sample of the mx500 from logitech way back and they asked for some feedback uh, they i think they handed it out at some tournament and basically uh, i wrote them back why the mouse sucked or the sample back then sucked and uh, through that i uh, got into uh, after my uh, gaming career ended i got into working for them for quite some time so i did some products there so i i think the first time i I think it's almost 16 years ago when I did my first work on gaming mice on the company level. And yeah, from after that, uh, I worked for SteelSeries. There I created the Sensei. And um, yeah, and after that, I took a bit of a break from mice, uh, did some other products in other fields, but now back on it with Endgame Gear, so to say. <laughs> so the Sensei is your design? The sense, well, I made the shape, so uh, yeah. it's my design. Um, actually, interestingly, the original Sensei was supposed to be glossy because glossy was uh, the shit back then, at least for Counter Strike players. I'm not sure um, if you remember the Steel Series before. They also did. Uh, um, yeah, they made those glossy. Yeah, the, the glossy Intellimice, exactly, and they yeah. were actually selling quite well. So. And I, to be honest, I'm also not a fan of these super rubberized paints. I'm not sure on XM1, it's kind of like more like a very dry grip kind of coating. And for these very rubberized paints, these would usually tend to break after a while. So, yeah. It's interesting you should mention that. I'm a big fan of glossy sides, but I hate glossy on top. I like a bit of both. But um, were you around... Because you played early days CS, right? We were around sort of the rise and fall of hardware events where it transitioned from CRTs to 60 hertz LCDs, or did you get out by then and you did the sensible thing? Um, I I remember during the last tournaments that I played, they were starting with these uh, TFT or LCD screens back then, which were pretty horrible in terms of input lag as well as uh, pixel... Uh, response time so that was always a very very uh yeah a very very shitty <laughs> tournament to play i think some of the i think there was one word cyber games or something where we played where they had like some shitty samsung monitors <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean the, it, it's really like a completely different game but yeah i think if you if you play it during that time um for sure crt was the better screen um, and also no one was playing in high resolutions and yeah, I don't know. I think most Counter-Strike players actually played in 640 by 480 or 800 by 600. I was a bit of an exception with 1024 by 768, but yeah, those were completely different times. I mean, nowadays I would say almost any screen that can do 120 Hertz is somewhat acceptable to play games with. Yeah, true that. All right, all right. Interesting, interesting. How about you, Freak? How did you get into gaming mice? Oh, gaming mice. Yeah, it's also a longer story. So um, yeah, I have to admit I'm quite old. So my first introduction to gaming as such was, I can't quite remember, it was the Commodore C64 or the original Game Boy that I got mm -hmm. first. 
but that was when I got hooked to gaming. And from then on, my interest was, I mean, I spent almost every single free minute that I had playing some games. And with that came an interest in computer hardware in general to make the games like run faster. I learned overclocking through that later on, also doing overclocking with liquid nitrogen. And to get like the best equipment possible was always, yeah, somewhat of a desire of me. So yeah, I tried whenever there was a new mouse or something new, yeah, I had to buy it. And luckily I still own most of them that didn't fail over time. Even though before I joined Endgame Gear, my collection, it's it's like in moving boxes, so I don't really know for sure, but it's like 70, 75 different mice that I still have somewhere in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a bunch. And at, uh, which at, was... And at Case, yeah, King, at, at, at Case King, I was uh, the purchase manager for some gaming brands like Extrify and Claris. And before that, uh, for Zoe. So I had a lot of contact with the industry. They also sent me a lot of samples and asked for my opinion. That is um, yeah, how I developed somewhat of a passion for gaming mice, but also other hardware. All right, all right, interesting, interesting. Uh, before we start with mice, let's actually talk a little bit about your mouse pads. I mean, I know you have the standard sort of cloth pad, the MPJ, but then you have the MPC series and the MPX series. And the MPC series is pretty interesting to me. That how did you come up with the service? Because uh, it's it's in my opinion one of it's one of my favorite mouse pads, and it's because it's very consistent and for some reason it's also super cheap. So, what was the sort of the main drive bringing the MPC to the market? Yeah, I would love to tell you an interesting story, but uh, it's not that interesting, to be honest. I personally love fast mouse pads, which are usually hard pads, but the huge drawback, in my opinion, is um, either they are very thin and wear off after quite some time, especially like in areas where you use them the most, and then they get like slower in the middle and faster on the sides. And when it's like in summer, when you have a sweaty arm, it just like sticks to the pad and it's just somewhat disgusting. So yeah, I wanted a fast pet. Then we ordered yeah a bunch of cloth samples to try them out. Then after some tests, I mean, doesn't need too much testing about the Cordura was yeah the material we wanted to go with. Then we ordered a bunch more of different Cordura surfaces because there's like difference in the weaving density and so on. And yeah, that's asked for a few more opinions in the team, and that was pretty much it. What is it about um, Cordura that's so appealing? Because every time I see a Cordura pad, it has the, the logo in the upper left. I assume that's like a requirement of using the material that they have? Um, I don't think it's a requirement, but you can use it if it's officially, if it's official Cordura material, it's from a Cordura mill, so to say. I mean, or it's if the material is made from Cordura fiber, which would be the correct term in this way. Um, but I, I think that the discussion like is Cordura a great mouse pad material is a bit broader because Cordura is just a fiber so you can probably get 50 different uh or probably an infinite amount of different surfaces that are made from Cordura some being better than others um yeah so Cordura, the main, your question, Cordura, the main reason to use it, I think it's a consistent material because it's very durable as well. 
Um, but you have to be a bit careful with the weaving because it can either cause some tracking issues if it's too coarse or it can eat away at your mouse feet <laughs> because it's, uh, if it's a bit, um, I don't know, if it's a bit too rough, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's a it's a good combination of what, what I like why I like it so much. It's a good combination of being able to do fast swipes, but not losing like the ability to do like small adjustments that you mm -hmm. often don't have with hard pads because they are like so slippery. You can swipe fast, but then when you need to like do precise aiming, it's all over the place when you also have fast skates. And Kodura is somewhat a mix between uh, fast hard pad while still having the control and stopping power of like a cloth pad. Yeah, I'd be interested to try it because I've, I've tried some typical cloth pads where when I try and do small adjustments, my, my finger will bounce along the pad as I'm trying to do really small adjustments. So I'd really be interested in, in trying it out then. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I've always used like control pads pretty much. I mean, for years and years. Before, I, when I played professionally, I used a sort of a, some, some mouse pad from Q-Pad that was like a plastic pad but yeah it has those those issues that you mentioned freak that it was like one month and it was completely ruined from the center and it also you know ate the mouse feet so it was super inconsistent but so yeah coming to this mouse pad when i tried this i was like what am i going to do, do with this that i've used these mud pads that are quite slow for a long time so it took me quite a while to get used to it but now i can really appreciate the consistent glide even if my like hands get sweaty the mousepad doesn't care at all, you know, the surface feels exactly the same. So yeah, really impressed with it. And especially considering that it only costs like $20, uh, 20 euros. Is it already available in the US, by the way? It should yeah. be, yeah, yeah, it should be. It should be, not all sizes yet. The bigger ones are still being shipped by sea, I believe. Um, yeah, but I need to check on that. One other big okay. advantage, uh, that I quite like with Cordura. I mean, time will tell, but since the material is also used like to do military clothing, it's quite durable and should be also water repellent and, and so on and so on. So it's easier to clean and should last really quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only tell from my experience where back when I played, I used the Funk Surface. If you recall this one, you could turn around yeah, the pet yeah. and I used the, the smooth side of it as a hard pet. So I got to know the guy uh, who was the distributor of it in uh, Germany or in Europe because I used to buy them in packs of 10 because they would last maybe a month tops and <laughs> then you could basically throw it out. So uh, I think after the second order, the guy contacted me like, <laughs> what the fuck, you know, what are you doing with these pets? So I actually got a pretty good deal on those uh, going forward. But that was, uh, I think, uh, the biggest drawback of this hard pets or has always been the smoother they are, the yeah, less long they usually last. All right, all right. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So moving on from mouse pads, and let's start talking about your newest mouse, the XM1R. So. One of the changes in that that mouse is the sensor. So you went to the 3370, and I talked with you, Freak, a little. Uh, actually, it was already mentioned officially that it has 10% less motion delay compared to the 3389. Uh, was that one of the main reasons to upgrade, or did you have some underlying reasons, for example, maybe preparing for a wireless model or something like that? 
Well, um, of course, for us, it's always about, you know, testing new things. So when we knew that this sensor would be available, we went into some very deep testing. And basically, um, as Freak had mentioned, uh, it came out that the 3370 uh, does have less motion delay compared to a 3389. On top of that, the 3370, of course, is, um, as you mentioned, a sensor that is potentially capable of doing or or, or being used wirelessly i mean you, there's some wireless mice with 3389 but the battery probably weighs as much as a uh as half of the mouse more or less if you want to make it last so you can say yes we qualify the 3370 for the performance but also we of course have in mind using this sensor if we wanted to do a wireless mouse obviously that makes purchasing also a lot easier but we would not have done it. Uh, we would not use the 3370 if we didn't believe for the, the most of our customers, it's a better choice than the 3389. All right. So where most of those like improvements, where those expect, uh, for example, the motion delay decrease, was that expected already or was, was there something that you were impressed, especially about the 3370? I mean, when we started, yeah, like checking the data sheet, you can only like tell so much and we're not quite sure if it was the better option than 3389 or if it was actually worse because yeah, based on data sheets, it's like really hard to tell. And then some of the values that are in the data sheets, they compare them at different CPI, like the error rate, uh, 3389 and 3370, they have like different error rates, but they also are at different CPI. So yeah we had to try to like really figure out if it was uh, was better and that was our main concern would it be a yeah noticeable update to 3389 and the reason we did the other changes was pretty much the xmon rgb was kind of delayed longer than we anticipated so it already had some upgrades and our main focus still is uh, enthusiast mice so there was uh yeah, an option for us to update the X normal XM1 with new specs that are already went into the XM1 RGB plus like a new sensor. Yeah, sensor. I've been wondering uh, since uh, there are other means of uh, reducing motion delay even further, uh, have you looked into, I don't know, for example, synchronizing SPI communication with USB polling events, or maybe even that's already in the XM1R. Oh, it's already but, done. All right, but, but <laughs> I is... haven't haven't checked it yet. So, yeah. yeah, the 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 question. Okay, the question is really how you go about this communication aligning. I mean, um, let's say on one hand, you you can look look very smooth in your graphs, but by that you cause delay or you can just push out raw data as fast as you possibly can. There's always different approaches to that. So, yeah, I mean, I would even say, I think that most mice from reputable manufacturers should have some sort of good timings there. I mean, basically it, it, it's a pulled state, right? So it's not like, if you supply data a thousand times, 
a minute and there's data there that there will be any desynchronization of sorts because yeah i don't think that you cannot drive the drive it down so much more beyond that one millisecond frame i mean there's several limiting factors of this there's of course the sensor how much data can the sensor actually put out um which is also a question towards 8000 hertz reducing latency i mean if you can only get let's say 1500 2000 maybe data points a second um it's really only about reducing latency not as much about uh synchronizing spi counts because if you synchronize something but there's an empty report that doesn't really help you uh yeah by the way um is 8000 or 4000 hertz something um you're looking into or, or have any plans well we looked at it um probably we'll wait out a bit what where the market is going with this um from my point of view, it, it, it can make some sense uh, in certain setups. I mean, in a very optimized setup, having a 360 hertz screen, having everything that would probably be like the, the cherry on top of the cake to have this. But um, yeah, it needs also to be integrated in Windows. I don't, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure even, I think some games even had also issues with 8,000 hertz from what I read. But yeah, it needs to be adapted uh, for it to make sense. But I would say the, uh, I haven't tested it myself yet, but I would say the advantage, uh, while it might be there, is very, very minimal. Yeah, it definitely has issues in some games. Even on my X570 system, the games just aren't yet optimized for it. So it's something that developers are working with, Razer and so on and so forth, I assume, to get yeah. ready. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. It's of course a kind of a next step, but then again, it's back to corded. I think now the trend goes a bit more into wireless, uh, and wireless eight thousand hertz is not possible for sure. I'm not sure also whether the thirty three seventy, for example, could provide sufficiently high frame rate, um, sensor frame rate. Well, the frame rate is not the problem. Uh, the problem is how, how how it correlates data from these frames, right? So one frame does not give you any data because you need at least two, right? So right. to get a movement delta. So the next question is how many movement deltas will it compute per second? And uh, from our testing, I can tell you it cannot do... It, it, it does a thousand, of course, but it doesn't uh do near anywhere near to 8000 so this is also um another factor the same holds true for 3389 though yeah yeah i think the the razor uh 3399 can do 20000 frames at least so um yeah that would at least allow for 8000 hertz well, I'm, I'm not sure about the exact workings of the sensors, but what you have to always consider is most Pixar sensors use a variable frame rate. So even if you say it's 20,000, it probably only does this when you move it really fast. And to create 8,000 data points a second, uh, you would also need to make quite some movement. <laughs> per yeah, second it's your high DPI, right? And then at that point, you enter into the jittering 
whole element over the yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, this is really a, a question. I mean, um, I, I'm not sure if you recall, but when we had Steel Series, we also had like this kind of like single CPI settings where we basically had the raw sensor data and would interpolate or, or like kind of like calculate um, the resulting CPI down to one CPI from this data. Um, I think to I, I think there's of course there's merit to say okay I, I set a very C, I mean back then the idea was you set a very high CPI on the mouse and the lower sense in the game and it results in better performance. Um, on paper it sounds great, but the reality is a bit different because higher CPI also uh, can cause, I would say, more problems. I mean, that's why there is smoothing in a certain degree. And also, if you look at the sensor hardware itself, um, I'm not sure, probably would need a microscope. You can pretty much calculate the pixel count of each frame and then kind of see, okay, what would be the ideal CPI the sensor could probably put out? I mean, it's, it's not as... And this is kind of like um, what you have to work with, more or less. Anything higher on the sensor is probably as much calculation as it is in the game. So at least that would be my opinion on it. Because you have seen it as a reviewer countless times that the same sensor was sold with different max DPI on this exactly same hardware subset. So. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of tells the story how very high CPI come together. And I totally would not recommend anyone to run the XM1R at 19,000 CPI. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to puke. <laughs> uh, you can buy it maybe with an 8K screen. This could be a good scenario. But, but I mean, realistically, uh, I mean, you know, some people that play games as well. I don't know anyone, like from from the friends I have. I don't know anyone even who uses above a thousand CPI. Most are in the range of four hundred to eight hundred, I would say. Um, but probably it's a bit game dependent as well. So. Yeah, I think the only time I go to max DPI is not when I've adjusted my sensitivity to bring it down to whatever, 20, 30 centimeters for a 360, but just when I'm going up in a zip line on Apex Legends or whatever, trying to avoid fire. And even then, the game engine can't keep up, so it just looks like I'm looking in one direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh well. Yeah, but CPI always has been like a, a huge discussion, uh, which is the best setting. Um, but if you look at... Uh, the best aimers in the world, I think most of them, they use less than a thousand CPI. So I, I, for me, the CPI race kind of ended already at 12,000 or something. I have never even tried the very high settings. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we already spoke briefly earlier on about like your original mice where you started at, um, Johnny. My, my main question really was that you've got the XM1. You've now sort of redesigned it quite a few times now. Same shape, but different internals Some things tweaked. Um, was that purely your design you wanted to make that mouse? Because I'm just going to sit here and say I'd like an ergo, please. But is this like your your love and this is the, your ideal shape? And, or was market research a factor in like the design of it? Well, 
ideal shape is a bit uh, hard to say. I think uh, if I was playing claw grip, I think it would be a very good contender for the best shape there. Um, we made it, or the decision was made to make a claw grip mouse um, back in the day. So this is what I came up with. Um, of course, I'm happy that people like it uh, as much as I do. So <laughs> that is a good thing. Uh, if you do your own design, uh, it's always, I would say, a bit hit and miss sometimes. So it took a lot longer than we anticipated to come out with the uh, shape we were happy with. So yeah, it's pretty good. And I mean, now with the continuation, we kind of ironed out some of the complaints of uh, not complaints, but um, some of the we, we incorporated some feedback uh, into the mice and reduced also some um, occurrences of issues that we had. Um, and yeah, now of course, at some point we'll probably come out with an ergo mouse, but <laughs> the term ergo mouse also is a very widely spun topic. I mean, ergo can be a mix master ergo or like kind of like a half ergo like ec2 death adder kind of thing mm, that one um, would be good yeah i would like that one okay <laughs> <laughs> which mouse I mean, do you play with sorry death adder and ec2 either one okay that's my dream it's on the roadmap but most likely uh, not on this year's roadmap It's also going to take a lot, lot longer to make an Ergo mouse than design an ambidextrous one. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, uh, I think there's like an, this last year has been probably yeah where most, I would say, copy mice have come out. I mean, or like heavily inspired mice, I would say. Um, making your own shape and like ironing out all the details and everything, it really takes most of the time of a mouse development project. So when we say, okay, with even if I would say, okay, I'm starting with an ergo shape now and we would develop this mouse, it would probably take still 12 months until it would be in the market. So if you really do everything from scratch, it takes a long time. If you just say, okay, the shape is there, it probably takes you not even half the time. Hmm. And I know when, when you were originally developing the XM1, some mice with holes had already come out, for example, and there were mice with optical mouse one and two switches. You obviously went for the approach of no holes and your analog implementation. Um, I assume the, the, holes, the no holes thing must have been planned from the get-go. Uh, in terms of the mouse one and two switches, had you considered optical or was analog always the, the way well, you wanted to go? Okay, so when we developed the uh, XM1, uh, the only company using optical switches that I know was uh, A4Tech. Yeah. Um, I think a bit of a history for the optical switches. Um, basically, the optical switches, they are produced by a guy who used to work for this company. So they did it, did it only for them in the past, more or less. Um, and now they're all, and then basically Razer also came out with the optical switches. Before that, we, I mean, I, I, I knew the bloody switches. I've tried them. Um, they were not that great, I have to say. Uh, very inconsistent. Um, and I, after we launched, I think I think the Razer mice with the optical switches came a little bit out out only a few days after XM1. I don't really recall, but we didn't consider optical at the time at all. Mm -hmm. um, 
afterwards we looked at optical but probably free can also say some things about it he's like the switch nerd <laughs> in the company <laughs> having probably sold that half a million switches in uh, different miles um, but I think optical switches are a good solution uh, on one hand, but because of the lack of variety for optical switches, I mean, there being or have been only one real company making them, um, there's not really, yeah, there's not really. Uh, I mean, now there's Omron as well. Choice. So uh, there's definitely yeah. development in this regard, but yeah, for us, most importantly, when we yeah try new switches, click feeling is above everything else. And so far, the optical switches we tried, at least in the XM1, of course, depends on how are your buttons designed or how is your shell designed, um, the final click feeling. But yeah, they were just not satisfying to click at all. So, which is why we keep on looking. Maybe if we can do something yeah, on our own, we will reconsider, but yeah, at the moment, it just, this main, yeah, importance is click feeling and it's, we don't feel it's like quite there yet compared to like mechanical micro switches. Yeah, I mean, I, as a player myself, I actually entirely agree with you. My, my death has optical, has optical switches and I like it because of the shape. But there's something that doesn't quite match up to both Endgame Gear, Logitech, and even the ExtraFi mouse button switches. Um, they're just still on that that next level that they don't quite meet yet. So I suppose yeah. the benefit is the um, the longevity maybe is there for optical, but I can't say that using previous mice, I've necessarily had an issue with uh, double clicks over time. I've I've heard other people get unlucky um, with other mice, but for me, yeah. I, I seem to have got lucky. Yeah, I think it depends a bit for double-click issues, which I also looked into a lot. Like some people hammer their buttons a bit more than others, or sometimes it's also that there's just a bad lot in the switch production and that you can have the best filtering or technology incorporate anyways. If the signal is completely terrible, it will result in bad clicks or anything else there. I mean, for this, an optical switch is a good solution, but as freak already mentioned for us click feeling is a big consideration and um, i mean even if you look at logitech uh, in a sense that were very had, had huge issues with double clicks most notably on the g pro wireless back in the day um, even they didn't go for optical switches right now so yeah, they, maybe they also think there's, there's some merit uh, in good old uh, mechanicals, so to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think with Logitech, um, I mean, they, they probably uh, choose not to use optical switches because it would probably lower battery life quite a bit. And... Um, uh, they're already um, undervolting the mechanical switches they're using, so um, the, the battery life hit would probably be pretty significant. Yeah, I, I haven't made a calculation for that yet. I can probably look it up in a data sheet, but there is some power consumption that comes from it. But I would say it's still manageable. Um, 
I think the biggest killer of battery life uh, they removed, which is like RGB. <laughs> mm. um, so, yeah, I, I I cannot say, but for sure it uh, takes more battery than uh, a mechanical switch. But for us, it wasn't a consideration. So this is something we kind of talked about with Pizogo uh, when we were reviewing some mice, where RGB was actually impacting polling rate stability. Um, I think he has something to talk about when it comes to the RGB. Was that something you you noticed and experienced at all, or was that is it always been pretty flawless? Well, on XM1 RGB, I think uh, initially we had some reports that this uh, was happening. I think this was mostly a firmware issue or like a power draw kind of issue. The issue on some mice, I think it kind of depends. I think on mice that use a um, that use uh, the MCU to drive their RGB LEDs um, directly without a separate RGB chip. I think this issue they would be more prone to this uh, problem. Um, for mice that use an external chip, it shouldn't be, uh, or it shouldn't be as much of a problem. I mean, you have to see the XM1 RGB. It has a lot of RGB LEDs inside, right? So <laughs> that. Uh, is of course one of the things, but for other mice um, that have that do have this issue, I could only imagine they probably drive everything through the MCU and they don't use the RGB controller chip, mm -hmm. external chip. So then, if you depending on how you program it, you could get some hiccups in the polling. Yeah, understood. Yeah, because um, yeah, I would say the the XM1 of course is is clearly catered toward its enthusiasts, and probably most enthusiasts don't really care that much about RGB lighting, um, and yet still you you've released the XM1 RGB, which maybe in some way is more catered towards a mainstream audience. What do you think about this distinction between enthusiasts and, and mainstream audience and, and where's your focus? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much uh, already said it. Um, our focus is on enthusiast market, but it's of course a niche. And um, yeah, it was required from us to also do our like more main mainstreamy products and both the XM1 and the XM1 RGB were shown for the first time at Computex in 2019. So it was already pretty clear when we introduced Endgame Gear that, um, yeah, we'll have both in the future. I mean, we'll have to see if we like go this route and like have one model that is entirely for enthusiasts and one that is more mainstreamy, or if we combine them without like too many drawbacks for one or the other so it suits like both markets but yeah at the end of the day um especially if you do like everything from scratch mouse shape and whatnot yeah we need to be able to finance it somehow and the more yeah the more you go into a niche of course the smaller gets your target group and then it's gonna be tougher to make more different mice 
Yeah. I, I think also um, if you look at the XM1 RGB, it was really designed to have a nice RGB ring rather than having RGB and a super low weight. Um, this was a design decision um, that was made way in the beginning to keep the original XM1 rather light and have a good light guide on the other model. Um, otherwise, it probably would have just one XM1 with less RGB, but probably with a weight in between the two. Um, but yeah, from my, myself, I mean, having worked at Steel Series back in the day, Steel Series also didn't like RGB. Now they do. <laughs> so um, while this also worked very great for Steel Series, and I also think XM1 without RGB was selling quite okay. Um, the sad reality <laughs> is that a lot of people like RGB uh, mm. and it, it sells, but it's sometimes just a different customer group. Uh, it, it, uh, well, not, not sad reality, but you know, it's kind of like you say, ah, do you really need RGB? And then some people, they say, the, the, the question is, does it have RGB? And not like, what's the input lag uh, how well can you aim with it or rgb is kind of like a deciding factor for some people to purchase so of course we need to offer it gives you plus 10 aim though <laughs> <laughs> only if you it to pink <laughs> yeah i mean here is actually a nice nice thing that i would like to know i mean we all have opinions regarding this but would like to know yours so Basically, the XM1 RGB, I just checked the spec sheet, so it weighs around 82 grams. And what was the XM1 R weight? Do you guys remember, or shall I check the XM1 R? The not, yeah. no. Well, I think we advertise around 70 grams. I think it's kind of like between 69 rather plus minus one. Um, but we always kind of market the high end, so people are not uh, disappointed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah exactly as you said. It's mentioned here that around 70 grams. So 82 grams versus 70 grams. In my opinion, 82 grams isn't even that heavy. So what do you think is like the, a sweet spot for regarding weight? Is it the 70 gram that's in the XM1 range? It, 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 it even matter? I think it depends a bit on the size of the mouse. Um, I think it would feel kind of weird if you have a very small mouse that's heavy or a very big mouse that's super light. I think for XM1, 70 grams is kind of okay. Um, I can understand though, going a bit lighter might make sense because adding some weight later by modding it is easier than to drill and remove weight, so to say. Um, but it also is a question of stability. Uh, like some of the super lightweight mice, um, that we have tested, they were flexing and warping quite a bit. And this is also not really a good or desirable behavior in our side. Um, we, we, we try to make, we try to make the product, um, or like a quality product and that shouldn't creak or flex in any weird way. But to be fair, when the XM1 was designed, the whole like lightweight as light as possible trend wasn't quite in the stage that it is now. So it was supposed to be like light, but not as light as uh, possible. And I don't, I don't think we answered your question that you asked before, um, whether holes were ever considered for us. And the answer is no. <laughs> We don't, we, oh, don't yeah, want, we, we don't want holes because uh, yeah we think there is other ways to further reduce weight 
like I said, the XM1 wasn't designed to be as light as possible when we like, yeah, make the next, the next mice that we have uh, in development will be lighter, but also don't feature, don't feature holes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, for me, there's nothing worse than a mouse that you can squeeze even just a little bit and the side button just actuates by itself. I've never been so triggered playing uh, Quake than accidentally yeah. selecting machine gun. I saw that on your stream a couple of times when you were using it. Yeah, just about frag out and then it just swaps to machine gun and I die because... Uh, yeah. yeah, it also has problems like if, if, for example, if it warps too much when when it's screwed together and the whole shell is warped, that the sensor distance to the surface is not ideal, so the tracking is also impacted. Um, but yeah, we are just, in general, I, I think it also looks a bit weird if you have like the, all these holes in the mouse and... Yeah, but... It, it, of course, it's the best way or the easiest way to reduce the weight. Uh, that's for sure. But I, there are also some EMI issues you can run into if you really do the tests, which we do. So, yeah, I am fairly certain some, let me say, some mice that resemble some other mice shapes just with a lot of holes inside in the market, um, like from some very small companies i'm not really sure they could pass all the emi testing that would be normally required to be sold uh to to be a product sold in the eu for example yeah it would be interesting uh you've mentioned earlier that um developing new shapes is more time consuming than uh, doing revisions of an existing shape. What about uh, sizing or uh, sizing a, an existing shape up or down? Um, does that take more time or is it something you could do easily and maybe use existing internals and release, I don't know, XM1 Mini or XM1 Maxi or something like that? I mean, there is, yeah, there is a, for smaller shapes, um, yeah, we could do it, but you have to see that for every new shape independently, if it's just a smaller shape of an existing product, or if you make a completely new one, you need to like make new toolings, you need new testing, need new certificates and, and so on and so on. So it doesn't really make much of a difference to just like shrink a mouse because you also need to shrink the electronics. So you need to design all of that basically from scratch. You just have the basic schem schematics, but you don't, you save some time compared to doing a completely new mouse, but not that much. So I think um, a different approach, I mean, now we have a claw grip mouse uh, in like kind of a bigger mid-size shape, would be to have like, of course, different shapes for different hand sizes first, and then, um, yeah, see if we can scale them up or down. For XM1 Mini, that is somewhat of my love child at the moment, um, yeah, just scaling down the XM1 to like uh, have a crib width that is desired for a small mouse. It would be very short and all the curves you have in XM1, they get like more, even more pronounced when you shrink the mouse. And then it feels like kind of weird. So without any adjustments to the XM1 shape for a smaller mouse, you, you could still make it, but it's like far from being ideal. 
Yeah, let me let me add to this. So basically, um, I think the safer the shape is that you have, the easier it is to resize, um, because all the curvatures and also fitting everything inside gets a lot harder. For XM1, for example, the front is already quite low, so making the mouse smaller, it gets even lower. But the micro switches inside there also don't get smaller. So. <laughs> There are some impl implications of what you can do and what you cannot do, but generally, um, yeah, I would say doing a resize is probably in between doing a completely new shape or just like using reusing the same shape time-wise. Um, but let's say, I, I would say coming up with the shape, uh, and verifying you want to use it takes anywhere, but I would say on average at least three months. And that doesn't guarantee you have a shape you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's quite a bit of a timeline, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you will see, like, for most companies that have a shape that is working, that they will re release it because it just simply. Uh, it mitigates some of the risk that you have run into with doing a new shape. Like if you do a shape and everyone says it sucks, then basically you waste a lot of money on the tooling. And this is also why you see so many companies just jumping the bandwagon on copied shapes of uh, mice that are performing or selling a lot in the market because they just don't want to take the risk to do their own shapes more or less. Is that anything okay. you considered, like just taking, um, like there's a pretty uh, common OEM EC2 shell. Is that any, anything you even considered before, at any point in time or were you always straightforward to creating your own? Well, uh, with Endgame Gear for sure we won't do that. Um, I, I mean, I've been in the market a lot. I know all the factories that produce, or I have even been in most of the factories that produce also all of these copy mice. Um, to be fair, I think a lot of the copy mice, they are rather cheap copies um, in the sense that the quality level is not uh, generally not very high, but yeah, hey, it's, it's lighter weight, so some people still love it. Um, they use a rather like integrated MCU solution where there's like a standard firmware and it works. I mean, you can even see some of the mice you can interchange the software and it still works with the competitor's mouse. So um, this is like kind of what you have there. So for us, no, it's not that interesting. And I also think it's uh, copying mice is not a that, yeah, sort of that cool business model than making your own. I mean, what's your sense of accomplishment saying, hey, I copied this mouse and now I'm selling it. Great. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> Uh, so you've mentioned uh, XM1 Mini being a love child. You've mentioned Wireless being a possibility, and maybe next year a possible Ergo mouse. Um, just in general, where do you see Endgame Gear in five or maybe ten years? What are your plans on evolving the brand? I mean to yeah predict where the market will move in five or ten years yeah it's it's pretty tough 
um, with virtual reality, we already have seen this like a different way of input devices. And I believe with augmented reality, um, that's going to make another huge step for how we interact with technology in terms that we like use voice more and hands more without having like a physical object that you need to like move around. And yeah, moving forward, I believe that is something that could also transition into like the PC market. Then instead of like having a mouse that you have to track over a surface that like takes pictures of how the surface changes to like, yeah, kind of uh, find out how your arm was moving, which was initially your thought, but you wanted to do. Um, that there's like more and more of this getting further shrink down and at some point being completely obsolete. So yeah, but wherever the future goes, uh, we try to just uh, keep up with the technology and just maybe make it a little bit better or do our interpretation of the whole process. We'll see. Latency, bringing latency down, shrinking the technology. Maybe at some point we'll have just like a glove or a ring with some kind of haptic feedback or high resolution, high speed webcams that just record your arm movements. Or we have X in one version eight. I mean, uh, you both probably, I mean, seen a lot of talk about the XM1 Mini and the XM1 Wireless. So uh, I've seen, I've heard some people say that there have been confirmations in you know, Discord or something. But what's the situation? Is there anything confirmed? Are they coming this year, or what's the what's the kind of situation? I mean, to confirm like anything in during Corona times is impossible yeah. because the supply chains and their supply chains are like still affected i was hoping we could yeah be ready with xm1 mini towards the middle of this year but yeah from the looks of it now it's gonna be end of the year and moving forward i mean your remates like you said initially with 3370 we already are kind of like prepared to go wireless yeah it's uh there is no denying it that there is there's a market and from the planning we did so far any mouse that we released this year will also be available in a wireless version and besides xm1 mini that is not quite called xm1 mini because the shape is not exactly the same yeah we also very likely have one other mouse shape for this year Okay, okay, interesting, interesting. Sure, I guess I have uh, one more question. Um, I saw a tweet go up from you on January the 14th. It said, elegant curves, precise edges, and a great look. What do you think of this non-RGB setup? And then in the background, I see the XM1R, the dark reflex, I think it is. I see the, the bungee that I've got sat next to me right here, and I see a keyboard in the background. Now, I don't know if this is an end game keyboard. I'm not going to ask you to confirm or deny, but my question is more toward the software because I see XM1 RGB uses configuration software 1.01. I see the XM1 uses 1.09. Um, in future, we might see one piece of software that unifies all of the mice and maybe future keyboard, if that's actually a keyboard, I have no idea. Or are you going the route of having um, individual software for each product? And again, it's optional, so people don't have to use it. Okay, well, from, from our current planning, um we have actually only separate softwares but from xm1r we might integrate that it has advantages and disadvantages kind of um i have to admit from 
a very personal standpoint, I'm not a huge fan of configuration softwares or anything. Drivers that run in the background, if they don't really serve a purpose rather than clogging your taskbar. Or... Mm-hmm. And if you look at some of the very well-known um, let, 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 let's say like this, if you had a software and uh, that, okay, name one software you like that co- with, with, with that you can set up many, uh, that lets you set up many pro- products, name one. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, so I think it, it, it's kind of like if I would see from uh, in the market one software where I would say, man, it's so great. The Logitech Hub can set up 20 devices at once, but or the, the Razer Synapse. You, you, I, I think I haven't seen one post on Reddit where someone said, man, after I installed Razer Synapse, I was the happiest Razer customer in the world. I think it always kind of went the other way. So yeah, um, it's not really a thing what we're looking at. I'm personally more against, uh, you know, bloated softwares or 200 megabyte downloads if you just want to change the CPI settings on your mouse. Uh, and I, I, I feel better when it's a standalone where you can just open it, put in your settings, close it. And that's kind of it. This would be my ideal software. Sure. Yeah. I have to agree. Um, I don't necessarily have anything against Synapse and G but I, it does the job, but if I, if I, if I could avoid it, I would happily avoid it, I guess, um, would be my stance on it. Yeah, that that view might change or like when we grow as a company and get more dedicated programming teams, it's certainly something that is not completely off the table. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we have one software for different products. Yeah, like Jonas said, it has some advantages and a lot of also some disadvantages. We need to see what is like the best way to maintain them and yeah, when you have everything in one software, you change something, then it could break like a lot more than you anticipated. It's not completely uh, no or yes. So we we'll see what is moving what forward. Holds, yeah. yeah, what the future holds, more or less. But um, one thing I really don't want to do is I don't think you will ever have to use like an account to use the software. Just like really be simple and. You do it once every blue moon and then you can just, yeah, not start it, not install it. Just use the products, spend more time playing, less time in the software. Sure. Yeah, I mean, all through the years, I mean, I remember that so, sort of all the mouse software that there has been, it's, more, it's mostly that something is, you know, not too bad to use. I mean, <laughs> I've never used a good good software for mouse, I think. But yeah, I've always been a fan of block and play mice myself, like, if you can if you can change the polling rate and the DPI from the mouse, that's pretty much enough for me. If you remember back in the Counter Strike times, there wasn't even a software for most mice. You could just use the yeah, Windows yeah. settings, so <laughs> and that was yeah. even enough. Um, yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, as, as I said, I think like even some softwares where that lets you set twenty CPI steps or anything. Um, uh, yeah, it's a bit overkill, and we are also, or I, was for, I mean, the 
X about our software should be out in the next days, but we also were thinking, hey, should we open up a lot more settings to everyone? But then again, when we did on the XM1, where we opened a few more settings, like we got so many support tickets. Hey, what does this setting do? Hey, what does that setting do? And for most people, it didn't do anything. Um, ripple control in that matter, but um, yeah, it's it can also cause a lot of headaches because, of course, if there's a setting for something, people want to know what it does. And uh, but NVC, you will be yeah. very happy. I was about to say, just the since X1 we're on the topic, the X1R software it already has angle snapping inside, ah. even, even before I ever heard you mention it, mention it anywhere. But I'm uh, kind of curious why you want it, though. So it's not that I want it, right? Uh, so I used to use the original Death Adder, the 1800, and it had angle snapping out of the box. And I played the best Quake Live I ever have uh, in my life. But I was also younger with probably much faster reflexes back then. But I used to play a lot of COD 2 as well and jump shots where you would always you would line your crosshair up to sort of head height and you wouldn't need to do much vertical movement. So I just want to know what I'd think of it these days if I if I actually tried it again because I quite liked it back in the day. I could see its use cases. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. So uh, when I used to uh, work at Logitech back then, they, I asked Avago through Logitech to remove it back then. So they mm. kind of re or made it optional because of that uh, when I was there. And this was kind of uh, around that time frame that most mice either had angle snapping or they had the Microsoft sensor. And this also is why the the main reason why so many people aimed so much better, at least in Counter-Strike, uh, with the Microsoft mice, because this sensor did not have angle snapping, which is kind of like a remnant of office features, so to say. Yeah. Um, I think there's a different level of implementation uh, of angle snapping. I haven't really experimented uh, with it a lot because I think it's a horrible setting if you like precision, mm. but um, there for sure is some merit uh, for some people in very specific scenarios similar to acceleration, but I would not recommend people to use it. I mean, if, well, you, have a, I like wanna... if you have a lot of horizontal movement in games like, yeah, I don't know, Counter-Strike, yeah, I, I can see how it could be beneficial, so yeah, why not? That's I mean, the option will be there, so yeah, you can just everyone can try for themselves. Yeah. If it helps, it helps. If it's just placebo, it's just placebo. But if it helps, it, it still helps. <laughs> it, well, yeah. it, it's it's for sure not placebo. It works, but if it makes the aim crap, then it probably is not doing what it should. <laughs> but that's it. It was so long ago now. I, I think it must be two thousand eight when Razer removed it from the original Death Adder. That I, I can't remember. I'd like, I just want to try it again. So yeah, 2006, 2007, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think basically um, the the major thing, like on 3370 as an example, uh, it's also default off, uh, but it's a setting you can enable. So uh, I think it has also been for, I'm not, I'm not sure it was on 3389 as well, um, but um, I, I think it was, but it's not really something that gets asked a lot uh, for and i also don't think it's uh, that interesting but we're putting it in so people can see but, the but with nvc is now already i met two people that actually asked for it over the past few years okay <laughs> 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see if uh, we have had uh, Razor. We had Razor last week, and now you guys and NVC has asked asked this question from both of you. So will he continue? You know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did what did what did Razor say? <laughs> uh, I don't remember actually. I think uh, Razor considering... said they got so many other things to do, but they they would like to maybe do it in future. Yeah, but it's literally one setting. You set one bit from zero to one, and you enable it, or the other way around. I forgot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, for sure we can. <laughs> uh, this is an easy setting, rather, but I wouldn't say it's a priority setting. See, yeah. every, so every kind of customer feedback is taken into consideration. Yeah. <laughs> We will just put in the software. If people don't know what it is, we'll just link your Discord name. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're aiming bad, and then just link me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't say aim bad because of yeah, angle snapping. And it's one of these things, it's similar, I think, in the Quake scene back in the day. A lot of people used to play with acceleration. Mm -hmm. They still do, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's something I could never get used to. I mean, in mouse sports, we had some Quake players back in the day, and they were, I were, when was playing on one of the guys' systems. Was like, what the fuck is the setting? You know, it's like <laughs> the acceleration. I, I, I couldn't aim for shit uh, with this, but this guy in Quake, he with this, he was pretty good. So <laughs> there, there's definitely different ways of playing, but I would say these days... Uh, Anything that distorts from the movements that you actually do or deviates uh, from the movements you actually do is probably not good for your aim. Yeah. yeah I don't think I've seen anyone to use acceleration in CSGO, but yeah, I was, I was also uh, quite weirded out that when I started playing Quake Live that many people used acceleration. I tried it myself and it, did, it, did, it does work in Quake. And I yeah. completely get why it's. I mean, when it, yeah. when it when it was released for the physics side, I remember I spent more time in the software fine tuning like the acceleration setting than actually playing the games. But when it was like set up right for one particular game, like do a fast movement and do a one eighty, and then you have like for small movements you can still like aim normally without your cursor going all over the place. It was somewhat useful, but yeah, I think for consistency, it's very like hard to really get used to. And especially if you play like a billion different games as well, yeah. different sensitivities yeah. and all those games, it's just a, another, yeah. another hindrance. Yeah, it, it reminds yeah. me of like these, uh, <laughs> we, we could probably put out a software that works with all our devices and has a profile loading for every game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there are some i really love like sometimes when these softwares they get completely overkill <laughs> yeah all right then uh i think yeah Psogol, you have a question still right uh yeah a uh, special question for johnny uh it's something i've been wondering about for quite a while actually um, I mean, last year, I think it was, or, or 2019, SteelSeries uh, released the Sensei uh, re-release, um, finally, after, after many years. But to this day, uh, there hasn't been a Kana or Kinzu uh, re-release. Do you have any idea why SteelSeries uh, doesn't make use of those shapes? Um, 
It's a good question. Uh, of course, I, I have to say, I don't know. I can only make a guess. Um, I mean, probably they just want to release something new and then they don't want to bring back the... Um, I'm not sure. Maybe they're bringing it out next week and now I feel like an idiot. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think like sometimes uh, companies, they want to do something new which sometimes is good, but in other times is bad. But I think that what's very interesting is, uh, is that what is highly regarded in the mouse review community doesn't always reflect the, the, the median market segment, right? Like what people buy, uh, similar to RGB, like when most people say, I don't care about RGB. If you look at the whole market, probably more people care about RGB than the, the people that there are more people that care about it than the people that don't care about it. So I think for Steel Series, uh, it's probably a very political decision and they may have to make a new tooling anyway. So maybe they make a design or anything that kind of fits into their new lineup of other devices better. Um, I'm not sure, but I thought uh, actually the Kinsu and Kana. It's still very good uh, and safe shapes. Um, actually, it's very it's a funny story for the Kinzu. When we made the uh, the Zai back then, which was the precursor of the Sensei, um, they we wanted to make a smaller mouse for Asia. It was just a, a mouse supposed to be for internet cafes. And then we said, okay, yeah, make it maybe 10, 15% smaller. So then I think like a, a couple of weeks later, we got a mouse and they resized it down 15% in all dimensions. And it turned out it was so small. We were like, okay, shit, let's do half. I think Kinzu then only was, I think it's like a 7% shrunk um, um, Zai, but it also didn't have side buttons in the or. I'm not sure they made, uh, they didn't have side buttons. And then they kind of made the Kana, which was very, very similar, but this was already after I left, which is like, kind of like an in-between of like a, a Kinzu with side buttons, kind of. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, the new Sensei, the new Sensei release, the Sensei 10, I also didn't like it as much as the original shape. I think it was a bit, for me, it was a bit too bulky, but that's just a, kind of like a personal thing. Um, but yeah, cannot answer, but I can give you a contact from someone from steel series who can probably answer your question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really curious because for, for Asian markets, um, they released the rival 105, 106, which is sort of a Kana, um, successor in some way. I mean, it's somewhat similar but still not exactly the same. So it's just curious to release a new shape for Asian markets that is somewhat similar to Kana, but still not exactly the same. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think like a lot of companies, what they do, they have a special shape or model for Asia because of pricing issues. I mean, you saw this from Razer probably, they had some mice that were released exclusively in Asia. I, th I think I think the first one was Sunrosa, then it was Abyssus. I'm, I'm not exactly sure anymore. But basically, um, the the pricing of mice in specifically in China uh, is much more competitive. If you look at 
um, the markets there and a lot of companies, they have mice that are specifically and only sold in China at a cheaper price, but they are not available worldwide because it would skew the pricing of uh, other items. This is usually what we see. I mean, for example, if you recall the Razer Abyssus or something, that it was super cheap way back uh, in China. But when they then later released it in Europe, it was rather expensive, I think. Yeah, I mean, the Salmosa, um, there have been two versions, if I recall correctly. I mean, the, the Asian version was like half uh, in terms of size uh, and way cheaper, I think. I mean, yeah, for a uh, small small mouse, it's uh, yeah gonna be same high end or then the XM one. It's probably gonna be even more high end <laughs> if we if we end up including everything that we want. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Hmm. Yeah, I think for like what I probably didn't mention before, I think for making mice, there's always a decision like. Um, how much money you want to spend on the tooling and on all the small details. And there's a huge price difference in what it can cost you to make a mouse reality or just, um, you know, or to just make a, it as cheap as possible. Sure. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay, guys. Uh, so, Glenn VC, do you have any other questions that you want to ask still? No uh, other questions. No, no other questions. Looking forward to what they've got coming um, this year and next, I guess. Yeah, same, same for me here. Uh, Johnny R of uh, Freak, do you have any anything you want to talk about still? No, just anything wanted more? to thank you for the invitation and especially the reviews that Sogol does are like, yeah, top notch. <laughs> I wish there were more reviews going into like depth like these and not just like touching it for five minutes and then yeah, write something about yeah, the skates are scratchy yeah you didn't use them enough <laughs> so yeah I, w I wish there, i wish there was more of this already yeah um yeah also thanks for the invitation and yeah i hope that uh, maybe after we release our next product we can get another invite and talk about the product and some of the philosophy behind it yeah that sounds very good yeah definitely yeah we can also make another episode and talk about CES a little bit. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we also love an episode where we can just talk about different switches with some people. I mean, probably uh, Freak here is the guy who has tested the most switches and we probably have spent a lot of time with uh, all the different stuff. So <laughs> could be a good guideline for people what they want to buy or test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, but yeah, thank you guys for joining and thanks for NVC and Sogol for joining me again. And uh, yeah, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 Bye.